Hey, this is Gary. This is Mike. And Daniel. We're not professionals. We're just three addicts sharing our experiences, strength, and hope regarding recovery. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other addicts and to practice these principles in our lives. Hello, everyone. This is Gary, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the 12th Step Podcast. Uh, tonight, we have a special guest, but let's get get with the regulars first. <laughs> it's Mike. Good to be here. I'm a regular now. Yay, <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> and then our special guest is Shane. He's joining us again. Uh, go ahead and say hello, Shane. Thank you for inviting me. I'm grateful to be here. Shane's going to help us out on a special project. Uh, we were having a conversation, and one of the topics that came up is uh, what, what kind of um, characteristics or, or what things were common among people who found success, long-term success in their sobriety. And um, so we're, we're hoping for a number of really, really good conversations out of that. We're going to be referencing uh, quite a bit out of a book. Uh, that is called Facing the Shadows by Patrick Carnes. Now, we're a big fan of, of his material. We've read a lot of books. Uh, I think all of us have used the workbook, A Gentle Path Through the Twelve Steps. Right. Yep. Right. And uh, we've also done a lot of work in his Recovery Zone series. Yep. Uh, if you guys have any questions about any of the material that we're referencing, please go to www.gentlepath.com uh, where you can find out all the information that you would need on uh, the books that we're referencing and, and programs that use this material. All right, let's go ahead and get started. So we're going to start a series of discussions that talk about different uh, patterns or patterns that emerged or general profile of people who succeeded in long-term sobriety. The first point that we're going to talk about is that uh, they had a primary therapist I think it's interesting to point out, too, it, it, my recollection as I read through some of this material is he literally followed a very large group yes. of yeah. folks. Thousands uh, of Thousands of, of folks addicts for a addicts number of years. And, and followed them all the way through to the point in time to be able to determine what it is that profiles this, uh, what, what constitutes success in terms of long-term sobriety. So this is not just... This is not just wiggly piggly information. This is really relevant stuff, which is really phenomenal. So Right. And all, all of this comes from his book, Don't Call It Love. Um, so if you're interested in reading about uh, the whole history and all of the work that he did in compiling this information, it comes from uh, Patrick Carnes' book, Don't Call It Love. A lot of data points, a lot of information yeah. there. So start us off there, Gary, with some of the first points that he talked about. All right. As I said, uh, uh, they had a primary therapist. So I'm just going to read a little bit, and then we're going to go ahead and discuss it. Whether they went to residential programs, intensive workshops, or took part in specialized therapy with others, each was involved with a therapist whom they stayed with over a three- to five-year period. Working through a relationship with the therapist appears to be an essential to recovery. Even more important, they each allowed themselves to have an examined life in which one person, typically the therapist, knew them extraordinarily well and had the skills to help them through the challenges they encountered as they progressed in this recovery. A lot of information there. Mm -hmm. Walk us through uh, in your practice, Shane. Uh, uh, I mean, I think everything I've experienced at this point has just been outpatient or group-related kind of stuff, but walk us through those levels of, those levels of uh, 
of therapy that are available to folks. Right. My program here is is an outpatient program, um, but I think a lot of addicts probably don't realize that there are multiple levels of of treatment available out there, uh, depending on the severity or or the need uh, that a that a addict has. Um, everything from outpatient therapy to intensive workshops. There are online intensive workshops, uh, residential treatment programs that are usually um, fairly short term, six weeks to to three months kind of thing. Uh, but they're very intense residential that um, allows you to work through your your addictive processes in a safe environment, uh, aside from all the distractions of of life, and so um, I think one of the most important pieces of of getting in with a therapist is to to help you understand what level you need. Um, there are different assessments that are available to to be able to help a person uh, determine what needs to happen there, and to work out a plan of how to carry out that that level of treatment. So walk me through what that looks like with you know I walk in the door first time, first meet. Uh, Hi Shane, I'm Mike. I've got I don't know what's really going on in my life. I just know that I'm a mess. Uh, <clears throat> and how do you how do you go through the process of getting somebody into per se residential treatment, or or uh, this person's outpatient versus this person's inpatient? What what kind of assessments? What kind of work do you do as a therapist to make those determinations? The assessments that we have available are are run through um, the ITAP program, um, the Recovery Zone. Dot com, newrecoveryzone.com, um, where a therapist can have clients take various different assessments to be able to determine what need presents itself. Um, I, I don't typically start right out with assessments. I will, I'll do an intake session, um, maybe try to have a couple of sessions with the client to gather as much history and as much of the, the background as I can get um, before maybe introducing some of those assessments and, and working toward that determination. So I think one of the most important pieces is to, to help a client feel safe. Sure. Uh, it's an incredibly sure. vulnerable situation to sit down with a therapist and bear your soul. Um, and so helping them feel safe and taking it at a pace that, that they're comfortable with uh, allows them to be able to make wise decisions to govern their own recovery process. So... Uh, understanding those various levels, um, recognizing that um, being involved with a therapist for a three to five year process doesn't mean that you won't engage with other therapists or that you might not be in, in a group with a different therapist than you're doing your individual therapy with right. or, or that you might not even be you know, doing couples therapy with an entirely different program. Um, so being open-minded to the fact that we want to get you the best care that we can get you with the right people uh, I think is incredibly important. So the, the first step is getting yourself into that therapist's office so that you can, you can make these determinations. Uh, a lot of clients run into maybe a little bit of a brick wall trying right. to decide right. where do I start, how do I even start. Many of them come into, into my office in crisis. Uh, they've either been caught uh, with an affair or um, various different behaviors um, and 
clearly that's not a great thing for relationships to have to go through. So wives are pretty good about saying either you get help or I'm out of here. And so they come into our offices in crisis. Um, that's kind of scary. And they have to come in and, and immediately start talking about this is what I'm dealing with and this is how long I've been dealing with it. We need to be able to, to help create a safe enough environment to walk through that. Walk me through, uh, because I do know that there are people who walk in the door who are, you know, when you say caught, immediately I think of law enforcement. That There's probably some sort of that that's gone on. Uh, does your program enable you to, to address the issues of people who are facing uh, legal ramifications, all the issues associated with that? Or is that something you typically say, no, guess what, I'm probably... I'm not the best counselor for you in that environment. What help me with that? A lot of that depends on what those those legal ramifications are. Sure. Um, uh, with the state that we're in, um, meaning the state of Utah, uh, if there are legal issues that require them to attend treatment through a state certified program, then no, that is not something that that we do here in my program. But I can create those them. referrals to okay. to get them in with the right program so so much of that is determined by what kind of charges what kind of legal issues they're they're facing that um, and that's case by case basis but, uh, but, to, but to even begin to get those kind of referrals you need to be willing to, to start opening up and, and uh, being honest about what you're dealing with begin living this examined life right that we mentioned a little yeah. bit earlier to, to get you going in the right direction it's not easy doing that i mean we've built up walls and defenses and hid behind all you know all these lies and deceptions and our protective barriers so to open the doors and say here's me is not an easy thing to do so that you know, for some of us it takes time well and mike mentioned the you know the legal side of things um as a therapist when you come into my office my invitation is for you to be completely brutally and directly honest i mm -hmm. want you to tell me everything that's going on uh, but that's completely the opposite of what you're going to hear from your attorney. Sure. <laughs> if yeah, you're sure. faced with a legal issue, the attorney's going to say, "Don't say anything." You know, yeah. we'll don't don't admit to anything, and we'll work the angles in court to see what we need to do. So, we have to be very careful not to not to put people in compromising situations or quandaries that that might come back to bite them somewhere down the road. So, my my primary focus in those early sessions is just to create a safe enough environment that allows a person to come in and unshackle themselves, if sure. only for an hour, um, to be able to feel better about the process that they're engaging in. Yeah. All right, so let me ask you a question. Um, it says that, you know, one of the points of this pattern for success in long-term recovery was having a, a therapist, having a primary therapist. What is it about that relationship that lends itself so well to long-term success? You know, it's a it's an interesting concept um, that they did a research study, and I wish that I had the the information in front of me to be able to give you the the particulars on it. But um, they did a research study years ago where they they asked people who had been in therapy uh, if they f if they believed that they had had a successful experience in therapy, um, and those who believed they had, they asked them what made your situation what made your experience successful um, and it's interesting as a therapist uh, we've we spend so much time focusing on theoretical constructs and, and and background and training and making sure that we're you know assessing correctly and whatever else um, that's not at all what came out of this research 
what Interesting. came <laughs> what came out of the research and for those people who who stated that they had had a successful experience it was the relationship they were able to develop with their therapist if they felt safe um, they believed that the therapist was on their side and and that the therapist was there to help and truly cared those people had a successful experience in therapy um, which makes it a lot easier for me to just blow off all the Right. Theorists and no, just kidding, just kidding. Um, but I think if you if you think about the amount of of shame and guilt that you yourself have carried with this disease, um, nobody wants to walk into a stranger's office and have to lay that bare in front of somebody they've never met before. And so, taking the time to develop that relationship and to feel safe in that relationship allows people to finally be able to knock down those walls, if you will, right? Uh, many of my clients tell me that they feel safer already just knowing that I have a background in addiction and that um, they they already understand that we have a common ground there. So. I will tell you, that was, a, that was a relevant piece for me, uh, the fact that you yourself shared very early on in our in our first meeting or two that you were recovering a recovering addict of your own. Uh, that was that was really, really powerful for me. One of the interesting things as I was listening to Gary read this information was this idea that we're going to have a relationship for three to five years. That's a really long time. <laughs> but you, you know what? And I, and I guess the reason I think that's interesting, not to say that our relationship, you know, three to five years, I'm not pointing that one out, but but it's interesting to think to yourself that, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend three to five years on a regular basis coming to see this individual and talk through these things that we're talking about and how difficult they are. Three to five years is a really long time. But I think it's important to point out that um, it's not going to look the same over that three to five year it's period. I mean, I, I remember in the first weeks and, and you know maybe the first month or two that, that I started my recovery, I was, I was in your office like twice a week, you know, and, you know, and eventually that shifted to, you know, once a week. And that went for a really, really long time, in addition to the group therapy and things like that that we were doing. But eventually, eventually, you know, I was, you know, I was mentoring groups and I was, you know, we had quite a lot of contact and things like that. But I was having an appointment maybe once a month. And then eventually it turned into when I feel like I need to process something, you know. So it looked very different over the course of that time. So that's a great point. That's really. I, a great I think point. it's important for the for the listeners out there to realize that um, three to five years is not a long time. It's not. Uh, I know. But I guess my point is, is that we live in a world. We literally live in a world where, you know, if I walk in and say, "Look, my hand hurts," that I'm going to get a pill or I'm going to get a bandage and I'm going to be on my way. And so the concept of, "Hey, I'm hurting. I've got this issue. I'm dealing with," and and first of all, the first thing you're going to do is commit me to 20 weeks worth of, of sessions and things like that. And 20 weeks, I'm like, okay, as soon as I'm 20 weeks, I'm cured and I'm out the door, right? That's just not the case. I don't know. Yeah. That's know, what's really interesting. You're right, about. but, you know, I think I was active in my addiction for something like 30 years. That's like a 10 to 1 ratio. <laughs> right. That's yeah. pretty good. It is. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite lines is, uh, if you spend as much time and effort on your recovery as you did on your addiction, where would you be right exactly. now? Right. right? Exactly. So, I mean, even even looking at the, the guys sitting around this table right now, um, you know, Gary and I have been in each other's lives for almost eight years. Yeah, almost uh, eight years. I would never, I mean, 
I don't know how you feel about it, but I would. I it doesn't seem like eight years to me. No, it really know? doesn't. Uh, and and you know, Mike's been in my life for a long time, but you know, from a treatment standpoint, for four years. Right, coming um, up four. And I don't I don't know that that feels like four years. That's true. You know? It doesn't. Uh, um, that's a fair statement. I think that when we when we start to experience success, we start to unshackle ourselves from these demons. All of a sudden, everything gets a little lighter. You know, even yeah. the time frame gets a little lighter. Um, if you're coming to my program, uh, you're going to need to be a part of my group therapy. And, and that's a 20-week process. That doesn't mean that anybody gets fixed in 20 weeks. It means that's, that's the time frame that it takes for us to work through the basic material to, yeah. to get you a foundation. During that 20 weeks, you're going to be in my office for individual sessions every other week. And so... Um, the only time you're going to be in there more than once a week might be if you're in crisis of some sort. Um, but typically, while you're in group weekly, you're only going to be in for individual sessions every other week. So I don't want anybody out there in, in our you know, listenership believing that, oh, shoot, i got to be in the therapist's office twice a week, and, right. and i got to do that for three to five years. No, it, it, gets, uh, it gets changed up a lot um, on the way through. You'll get to a point where where you may only be coming in once every three months, you know, just for a right. booster here and there to to complete some relapse prevention kind of work or some things like that. So um, the, the most important piece is to get into a therapist and get an assessment, understand what it is that you need, and get a plan together and start working that. Right, that makes yeah. sense. I mean, it's definitely like an inverted pyramid. You know, in the beginning, you need a lot more help, mm-hmm. a lot intensive help, and then as you get better and healthier – that starts narrowing down. Right. That's the key. You got to be getting healthier. Yeah. Uh, I think that leads us into our second point, which is that was a great segue. On my well, I think so. we're kind of <laughs> congratulations. Weeding in and out really well there. there. Yeah. <laughs> Shane's perfect segue into the second point, which is, is they were in a therapy group. Now I'm just going to share my own experience from the therapy group side of things. I uh, I think I was a solid two weeks into your office at the point in time that you indicated I needed to attend group, and uh, he, and he made that dis- he made that disclosure to me. I think my second or third weekend, and I said, "There, Shane, there's just there's no way I'm going to participate in this." Which is group. which is Mike's way of saying I'm going to do this. Yeah, that's that's Mike's way of saying the next thing I'm going to do is recovery. Is <laughs> you're mocking me? I know, but yes. my point being it's is, done is out of love. But the great thing of it was is that uh, I remember Shane standing up and saying, "Well, then we're done here." And I, I was stunned by that. Like, what? Well, now wait, wait. We're, you know, we're heading down this path. We're doing so well. Everything's grand. But if I'm not willing to participate in your therapy group, there's nothing here for me. And I thought that was, uh, I thought that was brutal. Uh, but at the same time, it, uh, it allowed me to sort of work through the fear that I had of, of other people knowing me. What happens if I come to a group and someone knows me? And, and uh, what happens if blah blah blah? All those yeah. things that I, I had to work through. So that was my experience. I don't know what yours was like, but mine was pure fear. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think fear is probably the initial uh, emotion that any addict sure. feels coming into a group for the first time. Um, typically, that fear subsides after the first group. Yes. Uh, most of the guys in my groups tell me that that the group wasn't anything like they thought it was going to be, and that they are chomping at the bit to get back next week yeah. and to get back into into group again because they had such a great experience with it. So um, that only deepens over the course of the 20 weeks. Um, so again, I wouldn't want anybody out there in the in, in the listenership thinking, oh no, I've got to go into a group and tell every 
sordid detail about my past. That's not what happens in group. Uh, we work through the treatment stuff. You can volunteer what you want to volunteer as far as sharing information in there. Uh, but realistically, you're going to be processing the information from the workbook assignments and, and the, uh, the process that you yourself are going through. Mm -hmm. So nothing is, uh, nothing is tortured or pulled out of you in any way. <laughs> well, <I> mean, <laughs> and so, and then that fear is, is, is real, but sometimes that fear, you know, you know, for me, I walked into SAA and there was a guy I worked with. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, holy cow. But that turned out to be a really awesome bonding experience where both of us had an opportunity. Like, there's someone that I can go and talk to at work if I'm mm -hmm. in crisis or I'm freaking out. Um, so even if it is someone you know, that's an opportunity for you to have someone to talk to and help out and then help you out. I've always found that to be classic addict thinking, right? What if I run into somebody that I know? Well, what if you run into somebody that you know? <laughs> yeah. Do you think they're going to go out and, and spout that off to the yeah. world that, right. hey, I saw Mike at a, at a sex addiction group. <laughs> really? <laughs> what were you doing at a sex yeah. addiction group? <laughs> right? Yep. So th the truth is I've mm -hmm. had that happen dozens of times in here where people have come into group and, and pointed across the table to somebody in their, you know, in their community or somebody that they've worked with or, or somebody they go to church with <laughs> or something else. Um, and inevitably, those situations turn out fantastic because they already have a built-in support system, yep. somebody that they can work with and talk with and be open with. So um, I welcome that. I, I like it when that happens. Interesting, so. interesting. I will say that my group experiences have been fantastic. And interestingly enough, uh, as much as I dreaded going very early <laughs> on, they became, in fact, here I am, you know, coming on four years of, of being involved with your groups and and mentoring and that sort of thing, that I actually, uh, I notice them when they're not part of my life. I really yeah. notice that. And part of the reason why that is is that uh, uh, I enjoy the reading and I enjoy the material and I enjoy all that stuff, but I, I come with a very specific uh, slice of the pie, if you will. I come with a very specific perspective on, on the topic and what it all is. And so to come to a group and to have the opportunity to process that and to dig through that leaves me feeling... Uh, a lot more enlightened. I come away from those experiences after we've just sort of picked a topic apart and worked through it. And oftentimes it may be, you know, the experience of one of the individuals in the group. And sometimes right. it feels very focused on that individual. Um, and they come away feeling, you know, hurt or whatever the case may be because it was so focused on them. But those end up in my circumstances, I have a handful of those, but in my own circumstances, those were some of the best moments for me because breaking down the, you know, the thinking problems that I've dealt with for so long have been very, very helpful. I think most of the time if, if a group ends up being focused on one person or one concept throughout the majority of the time, that person is generally quite apologetic afterwards sure. because they, they feel like they've monopolized the time. I try to remind people that every one of us is in here learning the same right. concepts. And, and, you know, if we're not dealing with that specific issue, we very well could be at any time in right. our recovery. So there's there's never a time when that's a waste of time no. to, to spend spend that. Yeah, and the, all and those opportunities, like if someone's working on something, if you're open, you're you're learning something as well, and right. you're like, oh wow, hey, that's something yeah. that I struggle with, or that's something that I need to pay attention to more, or wow, look how much and further I've I, gotten away from that. So now, what do I need to focus on? Right. right, and I think that if you're if you're in a good place, you know, you'll look at that and you'll say, wow, I really appreciate that guy taking one for the team. Yeah, being <laughs> open and honest. And then when it's my turn to right. take one for the team, right. it makes that process 
a little easier. A little I, easier uh, yeah. I'm going to add some depth to that conversation simply because uh, I, one specific group experience where we were talking about lying in our Sage 2 group, and uh, I happened to be the, the one that was just brave enough to throw an example or two out <laughs> and spent the night really sort of trying to find cover. <laughs> but the interesting thing about that was is that, you know, lying is so, so connected to addiction. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just virtually impossible to be an addict uh, if you're not a liar. I mean, those two are just connected. They just simply are. Well, and I think <clears> even <throat> even bringing up that concept, um, I think it's important for us to, to help the people out there listening to realize that what we're talking about is a therapy group, right. not a support group. Correct. Um, your SAA, SA, 12-step uh, groups are support groups, and they're fantastic, and they have a a very essential piece yeah. to play in all of your recovery process. Uh, but what we're talking about here is the actual therapy groups, more of a psychodynamic process where yeah. we're looking back into your life and into your history and, and teasing out those specific moments and situations and pieces where the addiction got embedded and, right. and became, uh, you know, a part of your life and so that's not always comfortable and it's not always fun but it's always enlightening it is uh, and, and it's so important if we're going to to begin changing the thinking and the process that get you out of this addiction i do remember after that lying that lying uh, uh session we had 15 people in this group and every one of them you know thanked me for the fact that i was willing to <laughs> to take the shell if i if you will <laughs> but that's that's one that stands out to my mind but every one of them indicated the same thing it's like you know we learned so much off of this at your expense of course but learned so much because we ourselves are, the, you know, everyone at the table deals with lying, which is one of those topics that everyone deals with. That was such a calm, easy group. I don't know why you're I'm having sure such heartburn over that. I'm sure it was fantastic for you. Those moments seem to be kind of pivotal moments, at least for me, when I was, you know, getting, you know, in the hot seat. I'll, I'll put it that way, in the hot seat. It, it was tough, but afterwards, it everyone seemed, gets their time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but it seems like if you if you're open and you take it the right way, it's a clicking moment yeah. and pivotal moment where right. things start to move forward. I want to add something to that too, Daniel. I think that's a critical critical point because sometimes when we say the hot seat, the impression is is that is that though we feel the pressure and we feel the weight, I will uh, I've never walked out of a group experience feeling as though. Shane or anybody else there targeted me or, or that, that, that they were angry at me or that, that I was the example or that I was the person that, you know, to be shamed or anything like that. I never felt, I never felt any of that. Mm -hmm. What I felt more than anything in those circumstances was a great opportunity for me to go home and spend time noodling those concepts. Uh, so much of my learning has been outside of the group. And so those, those intense moments that I've had in a group situation have translated into really watershed moments for me and being able to bust open the next level of my recovery, if you will, as a result of busting through that. Well, I think it's important for people to understand that, that groups have to develop. They, they do. They have to become what they can become. And, and if we, you know, even if we're just talking about the stages of group, you know, groups come together in a forming stage uh, and then they go through some storming, you know, where there's some difficulty and we have to manage some crisis and work through some situations before the group can actually norm and, and people find their, their niche, if you will. Right. Um, and, and at that point, really good work gets done. Yeah, there's some good stuff. Uh, let's move on to the third point here, uh, which is that they, were, uh, they went regularly to a 12-step meeting. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about some of the 12-step meetings. 12-steps uh, are typically uh, not counselor-directed. 
Uh, they come in a variety of different forms, SAA, SA, you know, there's a variety out there, and you can hop, and they're worldwide. Uh, most of those support organizations are worldwide, and you can find a meeting almost at any time of the day in any location around the world. Uh, we happen to have one here in our own area that we participate in, and it's a, it's been very successful. So let's talk a little bit about that, participating in that. Why is that so relevant? Why is that so important? It's your weekly booster shot. <clears throat> But, you know, I think it also serves kind of a different purpose. It does. You know, um, the, my 12-step my twelve step experience. I, Easy for you to say. Right? <laughs> <laughs> my 12 ex, oh, my goodness. Wow, you're, 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 you're stumbling all over this. All right. Well, my experience in that group that we were talking about, <laughs> do you know what? It, uh, it developed a different kind of social dynamic, you know? It, it helped me realize that, uh, you know, that, that recovery was part of day-to-day life and that, that I could develop this community, so to speak, that, that also functioned as, as a support. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a great place to find sponsors and friends and attend activities or be involved in more social kind of settings, you know, are all appropriate to that kind of stuff. And you still get to do a lot of step work and, and recovery kind of work. Mm-hmm. I actually, uh, I've described it to others in a different way. Uh, my addiction robbed me of sensitivity to emotions and to spiritual things. And uh, I've discovered that, uh, you know, a, a, a counselor-directed group in that environment meets a specific need. But one of the things that this, uh, the 12-step program provides is a spiritual side of things. Yes. Um, and a refining of some of those feelings, bringing those feelings back. I don't think we necessarily explore much in the way of feelings in a, in a counselor-directed environment, but in a 12-step environment, uh, that's right in line with the steps as we work through steps two and three mm-hmm. and, and as we connect with other people, et cetera, et cetera. So addiction has a way of robbing us of these particular things and a 12-step program, a maintenance-based program, helps us find that sensitivity to those particular things that have been, have been taken from us as a result of addictive behavior. Yeah. And, and I've tried to explain that to others and invited them to participate because of that. And I think, uh, uh, I think, I think it's relevant. I think it's really important. Something yeah. else 12-step program does that group therapy does not is it gives you the opportunity to serve yes. in a way that you can't in a therapy group setting couldn't agree more you know um, you get the opportunity to serve as a sponsor uh, service projects um, conduct a meeting conduct meetings be what a treasure yeah whatever it might be, be a committee member yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that the 12-step program does a fantastic job of helping addicts realign right. with kind of a family-oriented appeal, right? Yeah. Most of us have come from dysfunctional families of some sort, either, you know, rigid or disconnected. Um, so even our view of family roles and experiences is skewed. When we get into a 12-step program and we have a, a sponsor and we have a role or a position within that group or um, we begin to connect with other people, we we start to realize that family is more than just uh, a role or a behavior, right? I, I teach all of the people in my program that family is an operational term, not a biological term. Right. And so uh, many people need to be reintroduced into what does a healthy family connection look like or feel like and what does service look like and feel like? What, is, 
what does a social outlet or a social experience look like and feel like? Uh, a good 12-step program uh, will not only provide all of those uh, experiences to help you work through your 12 steps and, and provide a sponsor to help keep you on track with those kind of pieces. Uh, it, it, you know, Daniel mentioned earlier, it's your, your weekly reminder. It's that, that weekly grounding that kind of gets you back to yeah. this is what we're working on and what we're dealing with. But it also provides some normalcy, if you will, of getting back to socializing. Mm-hmm. You know, a good 12-step program is going to have some some social experiences <clears throat> excuse me whether it's a you know a dance or a camp out or you know going out to dinner and a movie or you know oftentimes that includes spouses and and so we we talk a lot about the antidote for addiction is connection uh 12-step programs do a great job in promoting that kind of connection yeah that, i mean that's one of the biggest things i found because you know the addiction is all about isolation we isolate ourselves more and more but you, know, you get to go out and there's other individuals that are struggling with the same thing you are and it's so much it's so freeing you can actually be yourself around them you don't have to hide who you are or anything like that you know it's a brotherhood or whatever you want to call it it's a group of individuals that know exactly the pains and struggles you've gone through and you you can be honest and sincere in front of them without having to worry about oh what's he going to think if i say this mm-hmm. because more than likely he's done the same thing or they've done the same thing or worse or or less but it doesn't we're matter we're different <laughs> yeah yeah even long after your therapy experience ends um 12-step programming can be endless you know right you know, yeah people spend 30 40 years continuing to attend their their 12-step programs and offering service and giving of themselves and and maintaining that connection that way. I think it's only appropriate at this particular point in time in the broadcast for me to point out that I swore I would never go to a 12-step program. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> Which brings us back to the point. <laughs> if, if Mike swears he's not going to do something, it happens. <laughs> if I remember... <laughs> instrumental in helping set one up? <laughs> if I remember correctly, Mike's <laughs> initial introduction to 12-step <laughs> programming was, quote, not only no, but hell no, end quote. I will also <laughs> so, point out that my introduction to podcasting was not only... <laughs> <laughs> it was almost identical. A, look it's how far a, we've come. <laughs> uh, but, but no doubt about it. I, uh, I know when I've missed my Saturday morning, uh, my Saturday morning group. Um, those are great opportunities. Uh, there's a genuine brotherhood there of folks, and we have a chance to really sort of open up and, and feel again the emotional side of, of recovery because... <clears throat> No question about it. Addiction has certainly robbed us of that particular piece. And one thing that is very, very nice is it really doesn't matter where you find yourself. There is a 12-step program there. Absolutely. It's a true story. If you happen to live in a a rural area or someplace that that maybe you're struggling with sexual addiction, but there's no SA group or SAA group or or anything that way, by all means, attend an AA group. Go to an NA Mm -hmm. group. get into a 12-step program and start that fellowship get some get some support that way even if it's not dealing with your specific direct addiction get in and get some support you know the other thing is i believe they've got these these meetings online yeah they've got virtual ones as well so in the event that you couldn't actually uh you know physically get to a location you could certainly participate via uh via the internet in some particular way And, and that it may not be as personal as you'd like it to be, but there's no doubt about it. You can you can still feel the experiences of what's it is going a, on. It is a resource that is readily available for yeah. sure, and yeah. that is worldwide. I don't I don't believe that there's any place in the world that I'm aware of anyway that 
I mean, check the websites, obviously, but there's, uh, I think you can find a place anywhere in the world. So great stuff. Great stuff. Anything else? Um, well, let's just quickly recap some of the things that we talked about. So the first three points in pattern for long-term successful recovery was that uh, you had a primary therapist, mm-hmm. all right, to help you live an examined life and help you kind of unwrap some of your stuff, uh, that you were active in group therapy or a therapy group, um, and that you regularly attended 12-step meetings. So those are the first three points. In some upcoming episodes, we'll discuss the remaining six. Yep. Very good. I appreciate that. Uh, With that, I'm Mike. Uh, Do the work. Find the peace that recovery can bring. And this is Gary encouraging you to do the next right thing. And this is Daniel. Find the humility to work your recovery. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or concerns, or have any suggestions for future episodes, please contact us at 12thsteppodcast at gmail.com. That is 1-2-T-H-STEP-PODCAST at gmail.com. As a fellowship of recovering addicts, Sex Addicts Anonymous offers a message of hope to anyone who suffers from sex addiction. Check out saa-recovery.org.